Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. One author wrote the following, You can tell a lot about people in our society by the way they dress, from baseball players to bus drivers, from postal carriers to policemen, People wear the uniform of their profession. Who we are determines what we wear, and failing to dress the part can sometimes have embarrassing consequences. Many years ago, a very wealthy man in a Southern California town was found wandering around the local country club wearing shabby clothes. He was promptly promptly seized by security guards and charged with vagrancy, even though he owned the country club. He had failed to dress consistent with who he was. Christians must dress themselves spiritually in accordance with their new identity. And that is what Paul teaches us here in Ephesians 4. He shows us how to dress the part in accordance with our identity in Christ. Ephesians 4, 22-24 read, "...that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts." And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Our outward behavior is the outgrowth, the expression of the inner man. Before Christ, we only had the flesh, the old sin nature to control our behavior. But when we trust Christ as our Savior, A new nature, a new man, is created in the believer in which the Holy Spirit dwells. When God regenerates us, He does not transform the old nature. Rather, regeneration is the impartation of a new nature. But then this results in a conflict in the believer that Paul describes in Galatians 5.17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh... And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. God does not eradicate or remove the old nature from believers at the time of their conversion. Instead, He gives us a new nature in the Holy Spirit to indwell us. So now we have two warring natures within us. We have the flesh and the spirit, the old man and the new man. The spirit and the flesh have completely different desires, and this is what creates the conflict. But in this conflict, God would have us depend on the spirit and to yield to the new man. And we are further clearly taught by the Apostle Paul that the power of the old nature has been broken and destroyed by the cross. So we have power over it. And though it still can, It does not need to control our lives any longer. Paul challenges the church that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. The believer is to put off their former unsaved manner of life, which was the unregenerate, unclean, unholy life of the sinner under the domination of the old man. God wants a definite, decisive, deliberate removal of the old man from the throne of our lives. 
put off means to put off a piece of clothing. And God wants the old man cast off and put away like taking off and getting rid of a disgusting, filthy, foul shirt. This instruction is such, too, that God is telling us here to do this by a once-for-all decisive action and to go forward in Christ and not look back. And speaking of that old man that God wants us to put off, Paul gives two reasons why we should. It is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. First, we learn that the old man's corrupt. It is rotten and rotting. In the original Greek, this means that it is corrupt and it is in the process of corruption, growing more and more corrupt. The old man gets worse and worse as time goes on, and it can destroy a person's life. There is no reforming of the old nature. It just needs to be put off and put away. Second, the old man is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. The old man is led and controlled by selfish, sinful passions and desires. But these desires are deceitful. They can bring ruin, disappointment, and emptiness instead of the satisfaction and meaning to life that they falsely appear to promise. So many give their lives to pursuits that they think will bring them happiness, but in the end they find that they were deceived and they do not bring the joy or fulfillment that they thought they would. In Ecclesiastes, we learn how Solomon was deceived by the lusts of the flesh. As a king, with endless resources and time, Solomon followed the, followed the desires of his flesh in every direction and every way one could imagine to the fullest extent. But in the end, he found that it was all just vanity or emptiness and like trying to grasp the wind. Instead of following the old man's desires and ending up being deceived by it, God wants us to put it off and then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The believer needs a complete about-face in their thinking that stems from the world and their flesh. In verse 17, Paul warned the church to walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. We need to not trust our own thinking or the world's, but to continually allow the Spirit to renew the way we think by His Word. To turn from the old man, we must turn to God and to His Word, to its truths, which will transform our thinking. This renewal of our minds is one which leads to true change of our attitudes and our behavior, giving us a new set of desires and a whole new manner of life as a result. And as the Word and the Spirit renews our mind, it gives us something to live for, which brings real meaning and true fulfillment to our lives. Christ. The instructions of verses 23 and 24 are linked because as our minds are renewed by the Word, we can then put on the new man and live in its righteousness and true holiness. 
Put on is just like the instruction to put off. It means to put on clothing. And just like the old man is to be decisively and deliberately removed, the new man is to be put on in the same way. We are called to do this by a once-for-all decisive action, that this is the direction I'm going to go, and I'm not looking back. I'm only looking forward to Christ. Both of these actions, putting off and putting on, are to be done in the power of the Spirit as we yield to Him and His Word by faith. When we trusted Christ as our Savior, we got a brand new garment. And we find here that God wants us to change our clothes and to put on a whole new set of conduct. Think of it like a prisoner who's released from prison, but he's still wearing his prison clothes. And he still acts like a prisoner, not as a free man. That person needs to be told, put off those old prison clothes and put on some new clothes. And likewise, we're free from sin. We're free from the bondage of the old man. And we need to put on the clothes of Christ's righteousness and live in our freedom from sin. The new man is a brand new nature in us that did not exist before salvation and which makes possible a whole new quality of life and service which before was impossible. Our new nature is not a renovated man. It is a new man. As we live in that new man, we can and we will live a whole new kind of life. And verse 24 says, The new man is created in the likeness of God, in righteousness and true holiness. As such, it is fit for the presence of God within us, with our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. The new man is what a believer has been created to be in Christ, righteous and holy. And righteousness and true holiness are what will be manifested and worked out in our life as we yield to the Spirit, and as we put on the new man. The story is told of an Eskimo in Alaska who used to travel to town every weekend with two of his huskies. One was black and the other was white. One day he was standing talking with some of the townspeople when he pointed to his dogs, stating that he was going to give the command for the two dogs to fight, and he predicted that the black dog would win. And sure enough, the black dog won. A week passed and the Eskimo returned to town. This time he predicted the white dog would win the fight. Sure enough, he was right again. This went on for about six weeks with the Eskimo always correctly picking which dog would win. On the way back home one day, a friend asked the Eskimo how he always knew which dog was going to win. And the Eskimo responded that it was really quite simple. If I want the black dog to win, I simply starve the white dog all week. On the other hand, if I want the white dog to win, I starve the black dog. This is exactly what we need to do in our Christian lives. Starve the old nature. Feed the new. Feeding and filling our minds with the Word of God. And we will gain the victory over the flesh, over the old man and the old habits of sin as a result. For nearly 80 years, the Berean Bible Society has endeavored to encourage believers everywhere to study God's Word. With this foundation, the believer is equipped to grow spiritually and energized to effectively share the Gospel. Through the tools of both traditional and electronic media, 
we are positioned to reach our world well into the coming generations. Streaming lessons, printed materials, audio teachings, and daily devotionals are all available at the BereanBibleSociety.org. Ephesians 4.25 reads, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul now turns to give practical guidelines as to how the old man is to be laid aside and how the new man is to be appropriated in our daily living. In verses 25 to 32, we find five exhortations to the church regarding our conduct. Each one has three parts, a negative command, a positive command, and the reason for the positive command. The verses specify sins that are part of the old man and that are to be put off, and then also the virtues that are to replace them as we put on the new man. First, the negative command here in verse 25 is that God wants us to put away lying. The positive command is to speak every man truth with his neighbor. And the reason for the positive command is, for we are members one of another. A woman was on her way home from work. She stopped at the corner deli to buy a chicken for supper. The butcher reached into the barrel, grabbed the last chicken he had, flung it on the scales behind the counter, and told the woman its weight. She thought for a moment and said, I really need a bit more chicken than that. Do you have any larger ones? Without a word, the butcher put the chicken back into the barrel, groped around as though he's finding another one pulled the same chicken out, placed it on the scales. This chicken weighs one pound more, he announced. And the woman pondered her options and then said, okay, I'll take them both. Honesty is the best policy. And lying here, when we, it says to put away lying, it speaks of intentionally fabricating a falsehood or stretching the truth or telling half-truths. God wants us to put away lying because that's part of the old man. It's actually one of the chief characteristics of the old nature. Then Paul gives a positive command, uses a quote from the Old Testament in Zechariah 8.16, which reads, Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. The old man lies, but the new man tells the truth. To be truthful is to be Christ-like. Because he is the truth. And to be people of truth is to manifest godliness. Because God is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth. Paul then adds grace truth as the reason for the positive command. For we are members one of another. Truthful speech is for the good of the body of Christ and essential to its unity. Lies harm our fellowship in the church. We are to speak the truth because as members of Christ's body, we belong to each other. And out of love and respect for one another and to encourage one another, we need to put away lying and to be truthful. As we do so, we are to be speaking the truth in love. As Paul wrote a few verses earlier in this chapter in verse 15, speaking the truth in love both as we minister with each other and to each other. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 read, Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. 
Next, Paul gives the negative command that we are to be angry and sin not. The positive command is to deal with anger as soon as possible and not let the sun go down upon your wrath. And the reason for the positive command is so the devil doesn't get a foothold. God doesn't want us to be angry with a sinful anger. We know it is possible to be angry and not sin because Scripture speaks of God being angry. The phrase, the anger of the Lord, is found 32 times in the Word. We see Christ's righteous anger in cleansing the temple, cleansing it of the crooked money changers and those who sold animals for sacrifice and were taking advantage of God's people in doing so. God is always righteous in His anger, but many times we are not. Anger that hates sin, though, hates evil, injustice, immorality, and wrongdoing. It's not sin, and that proceeds from the new man. But anger that is selfish, undisciplined, vindictive, and out of control, that is sinful, and that proceeds from the old man. The Spirit's positive command here is to let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, don't harbor anger in your heart. Don't let anger grow and fester. Don't let that feeling of anger get drawn out where it only get worse and worse. Putting on the new man, we are to let go of wrath by communicating, get rid of thoughts and feelings that accompany anger as soon as possible. Paul's reason for the positive command is neither give place to the devil or don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't allow him to get a foothold in your life. Harboring anger, allowing it to fester, can give that give the devil an opportunity and a foothold in one's life. And the devil can use that anger to lead the believer into further sins, such as the sins listed a few verses later here in verse 31, bitterness, wrath, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. Ephesians 4.28 reads, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. The negative command here is to steal no more. The positive command is to work for the things we need. And the reason for the positive command is that by working we can share and give to those who are in need. The word steal here is the Greek word klepto, from which we get our term kleptomaniac. And stealing can, it can take many forms, all the way from grand larceny to non-payment of debts. In the past, the law thundered, thou shalt not steal. Here, we find God's grace giving the solution to how to turn away from this sin. And God's positive command here is to work with one's hands. The alternative to stealing is to work and provide for oneself and one's family through good, honest labor and honorable means. And the reason for the positive command is that by working, we can give to those who are in need. Stealing is about getting something. But Paul teaches us to work to get. And that the purpose for getting by grace then is to give, to be able to share with others who are less fortunate and in need. And it's been said well that only the positive power of grace can turn a thief 
into a philanthropist. The instruction here is to put off the old man which steals, put on the new man which works and shares. Ephesians 4.29 reads, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The negative command is to let no corrupt communication proceed from our mouths. The positive command is that our speech should be good and edifying. The reason for the positive command is to minister grace to those who hear us. Corrupt communication is a sin that comes from our corrupt old man, as verse 22 called the old man. God wants our speech transformed along with everything else. Romans 3.14 says that the sinner's mouth is full of cursing. The word corrupt here was used to describe rotten fruit and vegetables or other spoiled food. God does not want us to have rotten speech. A few verses later, Ephesians 5.4 refers to the kind of corrupt communication that God does not want to proceed from our mouth, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient or fitting. With our speech, we often might need to do what David prayed in Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. As we are to work to benefit others in need, so our speech is to edify and benefit others in need as well. Because all are in need to be built up and encouraged. And we do that by grace, to minister grace. And God in His grace lifts us, and He lifts us up so high that we don't deserve it. And so our speech should lift others up and be helpful, pure, kind, loving, respectful, and courteous. Billy Graham once stated, You have a tongue and a voice. These instruments of speech can be used destructively or employed constructively. You can use your tongue to slander, to gripe, to scold, to nag, to curse, and to quarrel. Or you can bring it under the control of God's Spirit and make it an instrument of blessing and praise. Ephesians 4 verse 30 reads, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. All of these things, lying, sinful anger, stealing, corrupt speech, can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And that is a sobering thought. Sin in the life of the child of God grieves the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit indwells us. He's always with us. And thus He's always observing our daily walk, and our attitude, our speech, and our reactions to the circumstances of life. And when the child of God does not put off the old man and instead yields to it and does not put on the new man, the Holy Spirit is sorrowful about that because He wants only what's best for us. Grief is a powerful, strong emotion. Since we are not all sinless in our practical experience, we all grieve the Spirit. But in grace here, this verse tells us that the Spirit is not going anywhere, even when we fail to put off the old man and put on the new. We are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
or until the rapture, when all the body of Christ receives the redemption of their bodies and is with Christ in heaven and in heaven forever. But the fact that we can grieve the Spirit, that we can bring sorrow to God by our sinful actions, that's meant to reach for our hearts and to serve as motivation to put on that new man and to be holy as He is holy. Ephesians 4, 31-32 reads, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The negative command is to put away the six sins of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. The positive command is to adopt three virtues of kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. The reason for the positive command is that God has forgiven us in Christ. For the terms that aren't so clear here, wrath is a rage that boils up and explodes in the passion and frustration of a moment. Will Rogers once said, people who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. Clamor is the loud shouting accompanied by anger. Evil speaking is the backbite, slander, and revile. And malice is the desire to injure. These are sins that destroy relationships and they are all a product of the old man. God's positive command here in putting on the new man is be kind one to another. Luke 6.35 says that God is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. And so we should be too in being godly. And we are to be tender-hearted like God, or compassionate, merciful, patient, sensitive to, understanding and concerned about each other's well-being and needs. And we are to be forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. In the original, the word uh, translated forgiving is built on the Greek word for grace. And it means that we are to treat the person who wronged us graciously. We are to show grace in forgiving others, to freely forgive the undeserving unconditionally. It's Christ-like to forgive. We demonstrate His character in our lives as we do the same. He is the model and motive for forgiveness. When we trusted the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose again, we are forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. His forgiveness is free, full, and final, and ours is to be the same in life. By doing so, this in turn will keep all the other sins of verse 31 out of our lives. And the instruction here is to put off the old man, which is bitter, angry, and mean, and put on the new man, which is kind, compassionate, and forgiving. And by living out the instructions of all these verses, as we do that in the power of the Spirit, we will be transformed by grace. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society 
is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.